Evening, Demon fans, and welcome back to the Demon Land podcast. My name is Andy, and after 580 odd days, we finally got to see a ball kicked in anger live at the MCG. Well, at least 21,000 of us and a few token Docker fans, too. We've banked a win, and we're sitting so high up on the ladder that I'm getting dizzy. But let's not get ahead of ourselves and let's take this one week at a time. We have a full deck on board with us tonight. Returning back to the Demonland podcast tonight is longtime co-host Grape Viney. Welcome back, Grape Viney. Uh, thanks, Andy. Um, look, it's great to be back on the show and be back at the footy. And uh, at this stage of the season, it's hard to see how we can drop out of the top four um, <laughs> when I sort of look forward. So happy times ahead. Also joining us tonight is longtime Demonlander George. Good evening, George. Good evening, Andy. Good evening, uh, Great Viney. Good evening, Ben the Man. Good evening to all the listeners. We've had a win for the men, a win for the women. So it's a great way to start the season and uh, a great way to uh, intro into this uh, podcast tonight. Yes, what a time to be alive and last but certainly not least. Uh, long-time caller turned co-host, uh, Bin Man. Good evening, Bin Man. Good, uh, good morning. <laughs> good evening. <laughs> Everyone out there in Demon Land, and um, yeah, it doesn't happen very often on a weekend of footy where you beat Frio twice. Uh, that was something to see. Great, two fantastic games, or at least one of them was. Um, and I had a mate point out to me, he listened to the podcast last week, that we talked about 20, 20% more ups and downs this year because of the extra game time. Uh, he was keen to let me know that there's, in fact, with um, 23 games, not 17, um, there's 62% more ups and downs uh, this year. So um, let's hopefully there's more ups and downs. <laughs> Definitely. Um, well, let's get straight into it. Um, let's talk about uh, the match, the, the first match, uh, the men's game. Um, Stephen May and Jake Lever were absolute uh, brick walls in defence, 19 intercepts between them, seven, seven contested marks, 42 disposals between them, uh, possibly as good as um, any defensive duo, um, you know, in, in about three decades. Uh, Great Viney, who, who were our in, in 89? It was it's Peter Road, was it uh, Sean White and Peter Road, or was Jamie Dersma in uh, there? Dersma was still around in those days. Um, uh, Peter Road might have been a year or two later, but um, uh, Sean White, I think Danny Hughes was still around in 1988 too, so um, plenty of good defenders back in those days. But you're right, the dominance of May and Lever on the weekend um, was outstanding from the get-go. They set the tone um, in the first quarter um, by just <laughs> intercepting everything, basically. And uh, at no stage of the day did we sort of, did Frio look threatening forward at all um, because, uh, uh, because of their dominance. George, um, uh, I was—I just saw actually Melbourne posted something that we had um, 
uh, we had 26 intercept marks for the game. Um, uh, I, I think that's absolutely incredible. Um, How do you find our backline performing? Oh, that that's as good as I've seen the backline performing. Like like you've mentioned, since the the eighties um, uh, backline with with those players previously mentioned. But I think not only just Lever and May um, Tomlinson. Um, for the first time that I've seen, actually looked really confident in what he was doing, and he was a fantastic uh, backup uh, to Lever and May when needed. Um, Nev Jetter, who I thought might have been well past it, um, shut down their their small forward in uh, Schultz uh, successfully. And given what happened the last time we played Fremantle, uh, where Walters I think kicked three goals, you know that was a dramatic turnaround from, from that aspect and. Christian Salem, always ever reliable and um, as good a game from him as um, we come to expect as well. So it's really a solid, solid group down the back there. Um, and it, we can't complain anything about what's what's happening, but really top-notch, you know, uh, defending particularly from May and Lever. Um, I'm very grateful for our recruiting side for, for picking up those two players I, in past years. It's really solid. Be man, anything else to add uh, to the back line? Oh, not, not too much other than what's been said, except for um, uh, just, uh, I mean, Mays was awesome last year, so he sort of carried on from where he left off and um, he's just, he, he's become one of my favourite Melbourne footballers. But uh, Lever, really, he's, I said that after the um, Dogs practice game, that was the best game I'd seen him play for the Ds and uh, he's just topped that and that was definitely the best game I've seen Lever play for for us and uh, he looked fantastic and he looked really confident with his lateral movement. There was one where he sort of turned back inside and it was exactly that movement where I sort of had a bit of a heart Thing myself, my heart was in my mouth a little bit. Um, it was that sort of turn back in that he wouldn't have done in his first season after his knee, in the first sort of um, you know even eighteen months after his knee. And I was thinking about uh, how um, well he's marking, but how strong his technique, his marking technique is. He um, was marking it out in front of his eyes, and um, he, he just looked super confident. Um, and he he was getting good depth on his kicks as well. So uh, between them, that's the two fantastic players. I was thinking potentially the two best bigs we've had since um, uh, Hughes and um, uh, Sean White played together. Yeah, um, if you get a chance, uh, head over to uh, Twitter and probably on Facebook as well. The, the MFC have posted... Um, uh, a video of the, uh, I'm not sure, I haven't watched the whole thing, but uh, the 26 intercept marks, um, it's good viewing. Uh, let's talk about... Um, Sorry, just while I'm we're talking to... about our back line, does that still include Oscar McDonald? Can we praise <laughs> his excellent game too? Do we take Don't credit for that? Great. <laughs> well, that, that was a, a lot of on social media, on Demonland, there was a lot talked about Oscar uh, playing. He was uh, subbed in. And within, I think, 202 seconds, had had kicked um, kicked a goal uh, for Carlton. Um, I think we only tried him ever down forward once. Um, I think the comparison is it took him eight thousand yes. to kick his first goal at Melbourne, and uh, yeah, two or three minutes to to kick one at Carlton. I'm looking forward to the Carlton game because I mean, really, the key question will be how will we stop Oscar up forward. I mean, our, you know, May, Lever, sure, they're good players, but um, they're going to have to be on top of their game to shut him down. 
look, it, it, it was it was quite comical, actually. A lot of the stuff I read on social media and on Demon Land, uh, uh, you know, the, I, I think the same people that were 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 screaming at the club to get rid of Oscar were now bagging the club uh, <laughs> that we got rid of him and or didn't try him up forward. But you can't win. Um, let's talk. Um, as I said, something I wasn't too impressed with, uh, and B-Man, you, you reckon you've got the statistics to back all this up, but our clearances, stoppages, uh, and our defensive running by our mids, I think is still a massive issue. The, there's something terribly wrong, I think, when you have 40 hit-outs to 17 and you still lose, lose the clearances 35 to 27. Uh, B-Man, did you see it that way? Uh, what's your thoughts on on that? <laughs> well, actually... I actually thought the clearance differential was not the sort of cause of concern that many are making out, including yourself there, Andy. The, um, um, I think we've it's been a pretty significant tactical shift and that, like many clubs, we're modelling lots of um, our elements of our games on the Tigers and um, the Tigers famously not so fussed about clearances. I'm not saying they're not important. Of course they are. But um, in the premiership years for the Tigers, they're routinely at the bottom or near the bottom of the um, the clearance differential table. And I think that um, we talk, just talked about Lever and May and their intercept markings. Part, partly that's a big function of the way we've tactically shifted to um, not have such a strong emphasis on winning the clearances and being much better um, set up behind the ball. Um, and... Uh, I think it's a, quite a, a big tactical shift that really sort of started happening last year, but particularly in the back half of last year. Um, in the first two or three years of um, uh, Goody's season, his coaching, we were, you know, it was obviously a big emphasis for us. In 2018, we were fourth in clearance dif- differential with two, 2.4, and the Tigers, they won the flag. Uh, sorry, they didn't win the. Uh, they were on the bottom with 5.6 in 2019. We were third in clearance differential, so again with plus three. Tigers were 16th that year. The Eagles um, were uh, 0.37. And, tw- and last year that shifted a bit and we were 1.4 and I'm pretty sure after halfway that was down. So we were six in clearance differential. And the Tigers, again, flag winners, um, they were th- um, 16th on that um, differential table. So I really think that it's not the concern that people think it is. Obviously, you don't want to be – we were eight zip down at one point. Um, it ended up being eight zip for the game. So obviously, that was about the 20-minute mark of the first quarter. Obviously, from that point on, uh, Goody responded in the box and um, and made some changes. And so we, we broke even after that point. But I just think that they've taken um, that line through the Tigers and um, and also the Hawks, who famously, you know, they were near the bottom of that same table when they won their flags. So I, I just think that it's... Um, the, the, the difference is they're winning flags and, and we're not. Yeah, but I mean, we're going to copy... We're going to take a leaf of the of what wins flags for teams and uh, and I think we've set up defensively behind the ball and that's that pressure on the ball carrier once the clearance is lost that's the key thing and then they dump kick it into the 50 and we intercept mark I mean how often has exactly the reverse happened for us and we dump kick um, the ball into the 50 only for a McGovern or a um, you know a Richmond defensive player to mop it up and take that intercept mark so yeah I don't see it as a major issue Um Obviously, you know, we don't want to get smashed in there every week, but I think it's not the concern some might think it is. It was interesting, wasn't it, the change of personnel in there in that we saw um, the likes of Cozzy and ANB and Sparrow um, all getting a run. Um, it would be interesting to see. I, I haven't seen it. Maybe it's been posted on the board 
a breakdown of the um, midfield minutes and uh, attendance at uh, at stoppages. I don't know. Have has anyone got that that data? Uh, no, I don't. I don't have that data. Um, Might not be. Gathering by the silence, <laughs> I don't think anyone is asking. <laughs> no, I, I, I think that was interesting. I, I was wondering during the game whether we were running a second experiment and you know trying people like A and B and Pickett and and uh, uh, giving the opportunities to Sparrow and Jordan. Um, during this time, and we weren't giving the opportunities to Brayshaw and Jones. Mm. Um, so I thought that was interesting. And to pick up on Bin Man's point before, um, it's not you don't want to lose the clearances, you know, dramatically in that sense. But um, Fremantle, despite winning the clearances, didn't gain any advantage out of it. Like like Bin Man pointed out, He's, they might have got it out, but it finished up in the hands of Lever and May and and the other backmen, and promptly went the other way. So. There's, you're right. He, there's been a change in the way that the uh, midfield group is re- being restructured, and they're positioning around the ball, um, such that even if you lose the clearance, it's not going to hurt you. Yeah, and the, I mean, I saw the scores at one point. That like the point was made on the thread. I, I posted that um, uh, on the thread about the post Fremantle game today, actually. And the, there was the good point made that um, Frio's um, kicking was pretty diabolical, but. You know, often that's a function of the pressure on the ball carrier. I mean, ours was pretty diabolical as well. That was the biggest problem I saw in our game. Again, you know, it's a constant, um, you know, hopefully we're improving it with, you know, Bowie and some of the players that we're bringing in. Um, but at one point I saw the scores and from turnovers, I think we were like 75, 80% of our scores score at that point and it was deep in the last quarter was from turnovers and and part of them are the turnovers that the dump kicks into 50 I'm sure obviously and then we're transitioning from the back half so we're we're setting up well behind the ball um that's one part of it so the dump kick comes in and we uh, a player like Lever um and May intercepts um but then the critical thing is we're set up ahead of the ball really well uh and our transition uh end to end was really strong and that that was something that we improved in heaps from the middle of last year um where we um started to transition around that uh, Crows North game where we started to transition the ball much better. Um, so I think that those sort of structures and systems are a bit, you know, I think we're moving away. Uh, obviously, contested ball is still important, but just not those clearances aren't the um, same KPI that they were for Ruse and then Goody's first three seasons. I guess the important thing is that we do it against the the good teams as well because this was against a, an undermanned Freo. You mentioned those two games in the middle of the year were against the two bottom teams. Yeah. Um, it's all good and well to do that when you're playing well, witches hats maybe, uh, but we've got to be able to do that against the the big the big guns in the competition. Yeah. And um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. You've you know you've got to be able to do it and do it well, but then you've got to be able to back it up. Uh, against the good teams. But you look at Richmond statistically, it's remarkable. They're consistently near the bottom of the um, clearance differential table and they're the best team, arguably. You know, they're one of the best teams probably in the last 50 years, realistically, them and the Hawthorne dynasty under Clarkson, who are also down the bottom of that same table. So there's got to be something in it in terms of tactic and setups. Well, they're all good disposers of the ball, um, you know, uh, which which I found on the weekend quite frustrating. I thought we were um, uh, quite sloppy, uh, George, as you you mentioned in your um, your match report, uh, scrappy and sloppy. Uh, there were a lot of miss kicks. 
um, a, a friend of mine thought that it might have been uh, as a result of them using a new ball every quarter, but I'm sure that's nothing new in the AFL. It's a bit of r- um, rust, isn't it, really? Yeah. Is it? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, I saw those kinds of mistakes all throughout the weekend and um, it's the old cliche of blowing out the cobwebs, as they say. So I didn't think it was any worse than well, any worse than usual, um, or any worse than than uh, yeah than other teams playing over the weekend. Um, let's talk about uh, some of our younger players. Um, I, I, there was a big tick for a few of them. I thought Jordan. Um, I thought he was really great in his his first game. Uh, Sparrow, uh, whilst he was out of his depth without the backup of most of our senior mids in the practice game, you know, he's hardworking, he's a handy backup to bring through there. Uh, Cozzy showed some real spark, like every time he sort of got the ball, uh, would have been amazing had he taken that mark. Um, Shouldn't have you know, been penalised. Uh, what's the penalty is unrealistic attempt. I thought that was quite a realistic attempt. You don't, I actually I think it was early. a push rather than the unrealistic one, but Cozzy's had the unrealistic one paid against him before, even though he got a hand to the ball. So if you get a hand on the ball, it's not unrealistic at all. That, that was against Richmond, I believe, last year. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, he's very close to having that breakout game. Uh, when you would talk, uh, I wonder, uh, before I go to some of the other guys, do you think there was, what do you think the coach was, what statement was he, well, a statement, but what was he doing? He put Cozzy into the middle for the first bounce and then I don't think he came back into the centre till later in the game. Um, what What do you reckon, was that just to try and get him into the game? Well, I think... To be honest, well, perhaps this is confirmation bias, but I think that it speaks to George's point about the um, the setup, um, the differences in the setups. We had Harms in there who was hasn't been in there for well, all of last year, um, and it's about and Jordan in there for a young fella in there. Um, he was in there for a fair chunk of the game as well, and I think it's to do with sort of the less emphasis on winning the clearance at that. Um, the cold phase. I mean, there's a bit of an overemphasis on the centre bounce because you know there's clearances all around the ground. But um, I think it's he'll play a bit through the centre, and it's that speed, the breakaway speed from the um, the contest, both defensively and offensively, that's super important. Um, yeah, and I think he'll he'll play all over the ground. And so, well, he'll play centre for sure, and and, and mid, um, and you know, of course, up forward. Yeah, but I'm more talking. He put him in the in the centre. For that first bounce, and he clearly wasn't going to be playing there, you know, as as a midfielder. He was going to be a forward to start off the game, but I, I guess he just wanted Goody just wanted him to get in, get him right in the mix of it straight from the beginning. Um, Rivers, oh, go ahead, George. Yeah, it could be, could be also another type of um, exposure to a different tactic in the sense that. You know, we had A and B in there and Pickett in there who, who aren't ball getters by any stretch of the imagination, but maybe it's about this limiting the the opposition um, uh, to be able to move the ball freely even if they get the possession. So um, it, it, it's hard to, set, to say on the off the back of one game, but it's, it's certainly very interesting as to why these players are being put in there in lieu of, um, like I said, genuine ball getters like uh, Brayshaw and Jones. So... Uh, we'll have to wait to see what uh, unfolds in the next couple of games. So I think it'll be very interesting. 
Um, Rivers, I thought, made a couple of howlers uh, in disp- Dispose White, and but no doubt there's a bright f- you know future for him. There were a few things that he did that I, I really liked. Um, uh, um, and then, you know, there's Luke Jackson. I thought he had a fantastic last quarter, uh, let down by some real in- inaccurate kicking in front of goals. I think they've got to get him um, out on the park just uh, having shots of goals one of these uh, training sessions this week. Um, but looks like he'll be really dangerous. Um, anyone want to talk about uh, our young boys? Uh, I just, um, and George can back me up on this because uh, George was seated. Uh, we were seated near one another. We were right behind Langdon's goal in the first quarter and um, Luke Jackson holding the handball off the, yeah. uh, for a moment was just yeah pure magic in my eyes. It just shows how smart he is and, um, yeah, look, he, he was sort of quietish, I suppose, um, uh, until the last quarter. But I thought he was, you know, it was generally in really good position in marking contests. And um, then what we saw in the fourth quarter is just a glimpse of uh, of the exciting future that's ahead. I couldn't agree more. He's he, he's going to be a star. And, I, I mean, the last player I was as excited about um, watching, I Two of them now, Cozzy and him, they're both going to be stars. But the last time I had the sense of, you know, we're looking at a future star as Hogan and um, for, for the D's um, and, you know, leaving side with it. How did that turn out? Well, yeah. So, well, if he'd stayed at the D's, there would have been no problem. But he elected to leave, so I don't care. So uh, it's a moot point. But um, he, he's going to be fantastic. He's also a very clever, natural footballer. And I was going to say about the young guys, I don't think Rivers will turn it over as many times as he did for the rest of the season combined. He, he's, and I love the way he goes about it, but the enthusiasm those young guys bring to the team and, you know, they're all really positive, energetic fellas, it seems like, um, Jackson as well. Um, but, they're, you know, all of them are natural footballers and I think for a long time I've been critical of the club for, you know, focusing on those contested ball winners and, um, and you know, at the at the cost of, uh, of good footballers in terms of skills. And there was a couple of bits of play that um, really jumped out for me. Cozzy, um, who is just a clever footballer and, again, a natural one, he, you know, it's, it's, people have been critical for years about the, um, how many Melbourne players go to the contest. He stood off the contest, I think it was in the third quarter, um, a Melbourne play, he let the Melbourne player go one-on-one with the Frio player, didn't go to the contest, sat off the contest, the D's player, and I forget who it was, won the contest and handballed out to him and he turned, took three steps and kicked it into Spargo just inside 50. It was like a beautiful bit of football, but it was exactly what we haven't been doing in the last few years. You know, and other players would have run to that contest and made it a two-on-one, you know, won the ball but had no one to give it to. Um, and there, there was another play from um, Jordan who seems, that's the first time I've really seen Jordan other than the practice game, you know, like in a full game. Uh, and he... he just weighted a kick beautifully to, um, I think, Brayshaw out on the wing where it, it, didn't, it meant that the opposition player couldn't get to the contest and it just was a bit of natural um, football that I've been, you know, really desperate to see from uh, Dee's player and, and they, they're looking pretty exciting group of young players coming through for my eye. Also, the uh, the kick uh, that he kicked to Spargo, Jordan, this is Jordan, kicked to Spargo into the square uh, for Spargo's goal um, was a really nice weighted uh, kick. And I know Spargo was sort of by himself, but um, you've, I've seen uh, teams make meals of uh, kicks like that. And, uh, yeah, that was that was fantastic. 
Uh, George, you want to add anything on the younger brigade? Uh, just to back up what Binman was saying, um, they're all smart footballers. Um, even even uh, Jordan's goal uh, of you know in a very tight situation, he had the smarts to get it onto the boot. Um, there was no th- no thinking required. He just did what he needed to do. Um, the, the other the other. The, the other thing I think that all of them have is the kicking ability, uh, good good delivery, uh, which Bin Man in particular has been <laughs> crying out for years, and all of a sudden we've got three or four uh, good players who can deliver the ball um, reliably and you know weight it beautifully that you can take advantage of. So yeah, there's lots and lots of upside there between this group. Um, it's going to be very exciting uh, over the next twelve months and beyond. And on that, George, wasn't it just fantastic to see Kickett go back and um, kick that uh, uh, first goal, uh, the first goal for him and our first goal, it was a beautiful kick, you know, and dart straight through and it's like, yeah, that's what we want. That was a nice tribute uh, to to his uh, late mother as well, um, which was nice. Um, Too much, uh, too very much maligned players, Certainly, I see on social media and on uh, Deemland, uh, Alex Neil Bullen and Charlie Spargo, I thought, uh, played decent uh, games. Um, Charlie Spargo in particular, he's uh, kicking into the forward line. Um, I think he's probably one of our best kicks into forward line. So it'd be good for him to get get the ball sort of on the half-forward flank kicking in. Uh, I think he's one of the better deliverers into our forward line. Yeah. Yeah, he's... No, he's just another. Sorry, I've been. Uh, no, you go, mind. George. I was just going to say he's he's, despite his size, he's just another natural footballer, um, and he he knows when to deliver and when to hold back. Um, yeah, if if he was another another couple of inches taller, we'd have a a, a real star on our hands with him. But um, he's just a great natural footballer. So again, complimenting the um, uh, the other players that we've just talked about. Yeah, and look, he's, uh, you know, talking a moment ago about smart footballers. Um, Spargo fits into that category. Three goal assists, three inside 50s and two marks inside 50. Went at 87% disposal efficiency um, and seven of his 16 possessions were contested um, along with five tackles. So they're very good numbers for a half forward. Um, and if he can keep that kind of um, output up, then... Uh, He's going to be a really important player. And just on, on Neil Bullen as well, because usually we're quite critical that he doesn't get enough of the ball. Um, he did have 17 disposals and um, I think he had um, behind was behind Oliver for five clearances, which Big Man has said doesn't actually matter <laughs> uh, game. But I just wanted to put that out there. I thought he played a much better game and uh, it's good to see because uh, if you're going to meet in the team, you've got to be able to... Um, you know, get the ball. Um, uh, well, on A and B, as I said in the last podcast, he's not a chance of getting dropped with the um, aerobic demands of footy, um, the seventy-five percent and thirty-minute quarters. He's he's a lock, um, and um, you know, within with the distance he covers, it. I didn't see what he, what distance he covered in this match, but he works super hard, and um, uh, you know, whilst there's you know. He'll be in there whilst that's a big feature of the game. And just the other thing about I'm just going to say there's a spot on grapevine about Spargo. He's um, he's a neat kick, and I really like the fact he doesn't over. He goes 
for things within his wheelhouse, doesn't mm. um, go for high risk. Uh, he's really reliable kick, and it just can't be overstated how important even simple looking kicks are. That the you know the chains don't break down because of a stupid error where a target's not hit, and it, it makes me wonder with the, when you think Rivers now Bowie. Um, Laurie, Rosman, not so much, but um, um, and a few other players that were picked up that maybe Cozzy and Jackson have both got X Factor, that maybe Taylor's finally been given a bit of free reign to um, have more of a, I guess, a, a say on the, the type of player we pick up because previously, as I've sort of said before, I think we've focused way too strongly on those contested ball winners at the expense of uh, of good kicking skills and being natural footballers. And Jordan's probably the other one. And I didn't realise they said during the commentary that he only played a handful of TAC games. Um, so sort of it, that's a pretty risky pickup given there's not much background. So Taylor obviously rated him pretty highly. Um, a couple of other players that were all but uh, ridden, off, ridden off last year, I, I thought had, had uh, decent games and all proved that they had more to give. And that, that's Tommy Mack, and we'll, I'll speak more about him in a moment. But the other two, Jones and Jedda, I think um, one of you mentioned Jedda. Um, that was certainly probably his best game he's had. Um, well, last year wasn't great for him. Uh, but, but Jonesy, I think he's sort of... Um, you know, a lot of people had written him off and and thought he's not going to get to three hundred, but I think he very well might uh, get there this year. Um, uh, what what are your thoughts, George? I'll, I'll throw it to you first. Uh, yeah, it's good to see all of those three players um, uh, fulfilling their role, and uh, uh, yeah, we'll talk about Tommy Mack uh, shortly, but he's he's essential to us at the moment in the absence of anybody else who's at all in the forward line. Um, the um, Jonesy, I think, will get to 300 quite easily. Um, I think uh, he is very resilient. And when we're looking for 23rd players, uh, as the season progresses and as injuries start to hit and tiredness hits these younger players, he's only got to play another five games to, to reach that target. But he's he's a, a nice player in the sort of the mould of... Um, uh, I'm thinking of the Hawthorne, Hawthorne player... Um, uh, Coming back, you know, when needed, comes in and, and just um, does his job in in those tight situations and has the body to keep on going. Uh, Jetta was the same, very pleasing. Um, he uh, he certainly beat his man comprehensively one on one during the game. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he goes against speedier opponents, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. But um, yeah, you can only do what you've got to do, and he he did it very admirably during the weekend. Nice to have him at the back of uh, Lever and and May and Tomlinson and Salem and Rivers. Uh, he's just a that final backstop, and he did it did it brilliantly. Um, uh, we'll talk about T Mac. His form in particular was very promising, uh, kicking the two goals, or taking those nine marks. Uh, look, at the moment when we've got uh, two big talls uh, in the stands, at least for the next month. Um, and possibly a bit longer. I think they're four and five, maybe six weeks away. That's uh, Wiedemann and Brown. Uh, it's important to have T-Mac there. Uh, I'll go back to you, George, because you mentioned in your report that a few times he was he was left the only uh, big man. How are we going to how are we going to sort of manage the the tools 
Um, cause I think you need two guys down there. And if we're, you know, the whole, we've been big on robbing Peter to pay Paul, uh, type of thing. Uh, what do you see uh, in terms of our forward line or what would you like to see? I think we're going to see that's what we saw last weekend for the next couple of weeks, at least. Um, we just hope that Jackson can get a, a little bit more confidence and things like that. But somebody's got to do the backup ruck role. Um, and Jackson seems to have been appointed in, in that role. So it just leaves us with that one forward. We're, we're sort of fortunate. Um, I don't think Fremantle had a great back line. Um, St Kilda uh, are missing a lot of their big backs as well. Um, uh, I watched a lot of the uh, GWS game uh, that St Kilda played in. They, they're, they're totally dependent on on scoring from turnovers in the, in uh, the opposition's half back line, but as as a back line of their own, they're they're just not great. They they re- they really struggle. The, um, so we should be safe, I would think, um, with Tommy Mack and and Jackson doing their bit. Fritch is always an, a nice, reliable sort of backup for a couple of goals. If he could only kick straighter, we'd all be happier. Um, but uh, while Tommy's doing his job, we'll be very grateful for that. We're very grateful he didn't move on. Yes, um, Ian, in hindsight. Um, at Fritch, it's a bit frustrating, Fritch, because he can get the ball. He's he's a good lead-up and uh, can take a mark, but uh, his kicking's really let him down. Uh, I thought when he started that he was a, you know, he was dead-eye straight kick and he's really let himself down. I think he even didn't make the distance at, at one point. So, yeah. He was a dead-eye dick in his first year. There's no doubt about that. And I don't know whether it's confidence or something mm. with his technique, but, um, uh, yeah, he sort of often finds himself, say, in about a 45-degree angle, 40, 45 out, and not really reliable from uh, from that sort of range, which is a bit of a shame because uh, although Frio missed – a number of shots too. I thought we we missed many more gettable ones, and um, probably the result should have been another, you know, three or potentially four goals um, than what it was. So um, I, I think even though it was, you know, a bit of a makeshift forward line, um, it functioned pretty well. Yeah, I thought I thought Frio's uh, a lot of their misses were sort of hurried, rushed uh, sort of kicks under pressure, whereas uh, we missed some, um, you know. Uh, set shots, Some absolute which, uh, which you should be getting. Uh, B-Man, anything to add about our forward line setup, or in particular if you want to talk about our connections inside 50 because I, I think we weren't – I don't think we were bombing it in as much as, the, you know, for 2019-2020 style, uh, but I was thinking during the game that uh, Ben Brown would be having nightmares about some of the delivery into the forward line because it, it wasn't great at times, but um, – uh, yeah, I mean, just firstly on uh, Todd McDonald, that was I was thrilled how well he played, and um, as you know, we talked about last year, he was clearly overweight last year. You know, who knows what the the uh, issue was there? Whether it was injury, fitness, you know, a lot of stuff would have gone on with that whole you know hub stuff and COVID difficult year for all. There was there was word that he was told to bulk up. Yeah, um, I don't know how true that is. I just can't um, believe that. I mean. Why would they do that and then play him high up the ground, not play him deep? I just like that doesn't ring true f- for me um, because it you know makes no sense really. But who knows? I don't. That, <laughs> um, but he was you know. I, funnily enough, uh, I, the commentary was not as bad as uh, it often is, and um, they made a good point that it's the 
best he's played since 2018, and um, I think so too. He he was terrific. He was in the game a, a lot, and he was um, you know putting that that touch on the one percenters on. Um, and getting up the ground and really sort of stretching for those marks, looking, you know, using his, his I don't think he's ever going to be laterally a great player left and right, um, uh, but, you know, being able to run his defender up and down the ground is his, his go and um, and get on the end of those clearing kicks from um, May, you know, up the ground. Um, yeah, I thought he was terrific. And to be honest, if I was Sam Whedon, I'd be pretty nervous because I'd rather, to be for me, an informed Tom McDonald in that sort of form is a better footballer than uh, where Wiedemann's at at the moment. And, you know, hopefully that will change and Wiedemann will go up at a level, but he'd, he'd need to to get to that level that Tom McDonald played. And then just, as I know, he's not super mobile, but that speak you mentioned Grapeviney, that beautiful sort of weighted handball uh, and delay that Jackson did to give off Langdon's goal. Well, what's his name? Um, Tom McDonald did a beautiful sidestep to give uh, Harms his goal. Um, it was a uh, you know, delightful bit of work. So, yeah, I, I was super pleased um, and all power to him. Um, a few disappointing players, I thought. I, I wasn't impressed too, too much with the games of Brayshaw, Harms and Hunt. Uh, Hunt in particular disappointed me. Um uh, you know, I, I preferred him as a forward um, than playing him back. Um, and I think he's going to have his position taken by Hibbard uh, very, very shortly. Um, George, uh, thoughts on, on those three players? Yeah, have, have to agree about Hunt uh, with your assessment, Andy. The um, It was just a repeat of the uh, Richmond practice game for him. He, I don't think he's a natural defender, unfortunately. No. Um, um, he, he was... They're probably trying him in that back line to to try try and provide uh, some drive out of it. But um, if you're not getting the ball and your opponent's getting the ball, um, you're not really serving your purpose. So um, very disappointing from his perspective. Uh, Brayshaw and Harms are interesting, and I think it just depends on the way that you look at what their roles were. Um, Brayshaw was obviously told, you are the winger today, and you shall not pass the, the 50 metre line. Um, the, there was someone uh, mentioned that at one stage Petraka was trying to get into the, the midfield and he was late and he signalled to Brayshaw to go in and Brayshaw said no. So he was um, under instructions, under no circumstances are you going in there. So it's hard to judge a midfielder's um, uh, output when he's not actually playing in the midfield. Um, it was only his first game back for quite a considerable time after his foot injury uh, last year. So um, uh, I think we've just got to wait wait and see what the coaching staff and the uh, conditioning staff are, are requiring of him before we become too critical. Harms is difficult again. I think the, um, uh, the rotations through the middle, um, it was good to see him back in the middle. Um, I'm not sh- sure because of so many people moving through there, what the actual role that we require of him uh, was in this particular game. Um, his his um, delivery wasn't as good as what what uh, what the standards perhaps that are now being expected of him. So he needs to pick that up uh, if, if he wants to keep the keep his role in the in the side. So um, yeah, it's an interesting one for those three. Uh, we'll see what happens at selection time, but I suspect uh, Jaden Hunt's going to be replaced by Hib- Hibbard this week at least. 
anyone else want to weigh in on either those guys or or anyone else you want to you want to highlight before we sort of move on? No, I just note that uh, D Zephyr in the chat room um, mentioned Gus being on the wing all game, and that there's a bit of talk in the Angus Brayshaw thread that he could be used there all season, and has asked for our thoughts. And uh, well, yeah, George has just answered. Uh, Answered with with his, and I guess yeah, we're going to wait and see what happens with um, with selection. But he's well, in my opinion, he's not a natural winger, and uh, um, yeah, I think he plays his best footy in the middle. And I was surprised that, given the number of people that did go through there on the weekend, that he wasn't one of them. So, um, which might especially speak. yeah, especially with Harms not playing, as far as I could tell the tagger role that he um, did so well in, in 2018. Yeah, which Greg Bonnie might speak to them trialling um, um, Gus on the wing if they, you know, try and embed it down that position. It's a really curious one with not so much Gus because I think it's sort of his upside is pretty clear. Uh, he's pretty slow for the wing for mine, but, you know, uh, he he should be a better kick than he, he seems to be. Um, he gets good depth, but Harms... I can't quite get a handle on it. It sort of depends on, as you suggested, George, what role we've got him playing. And I don't think he's a smart – he doesn't strike me as a smart footballer. Um, he might be a smart bloke off the field, but um, he he's at his best when he's following good footballers. So, But, again, you know, they, as as you said, Grave Viney, they didn't really play him as a tagger and they Fife was running wild at one point and they didn't elect to tag him. So, um, you know – it's a, I don't know whether he's strong enough in the midfield, but maybe it's that running thing that they're looking for. I, I quite like the idea of him on the half-forward flank, although he wasn't hanging on to his marks. And Hunt's similar. You can't, he just doesn't get enough of the footy, but that run, maybe on the big grounds, maybe there's, you know, they're saying they need that run and his athleticism, but he just doesn't get enough of the footy. Um, but, yeah, so it's a bit hard to tell with all with those two because you don't really know what their uh, job is. But, um, um, yeah, surely Harms must – sorry, um, Hunt must be on thin ice. Uh, the other disappointing thing to come out of the, the day for me uh, and possibly for everyone, including the club, was the disappointing crowd um, in terms of numbers. And, uh, you know, fair enough, there is um, – we were playing – an interstate team who, um, you know, there's obviously uh, issues with going back over the border, even though you can, but uh, in these times of COVID, you don't want to get caught um, back on one side of the border and not be able to get back in. But 21,000 uh, certainly is disappointing. Uh, uh, Grape Viney and I spoke with Gary Purdom. We'll talk about that interview a little bit later on, but uh, he seemed to think... Um, I don't know if it was wishful thinking or, or that's where it was trending towards, but he thought uh, 27,000 uh, would be the number. Um, he did mention that it's just a- usually a, a Melbourne Fremantle is about 25,000, but given that you know none of us had seen live footy um, unless you'd been in Queensland uh, for uh, you know 12 months, if not more, um, uh, Disappointing crowd, uh, George. Uh, Can I just before just before George gets in there, you mentioned Gary Pert. Um, Caroline Wilson pointed out on TV last night that Gary Pert, um, not too long ago on radio, 
said that he was um, estimating 40,000 attending. And that was in the context of the games potentially being moved, you know, Hawthorne and, uh, um, uh, sorry, Essendon wanting to, to play on the G and get a bigger crowd. Um, so Pert said at the time that he was expecting 40 and it's, uh, we got about half of that and he's changed his estimate considerably. Um, well, I never thought. Up I until never the point where he spoke 40. to us. I never thought we'd get 40 for that game, but I did think we'd we'd be getting anywhere between 25 and 30. And then when I saw that it was going to be a nice day, um, people hadn't been to the footy. And I know there's other factors, uh, um, you know, there's there's the, the fear of COVID, which obviously didn't impact other games. Um, do we have perhaps an, an ageing um, supporter base that there might, those fears might um, be an issue or, or else, you know, being an ageing um, membership base, maybe uh, not too familiar with how to use a computer to get the tickets the way we have to get it. Uh, there was the other suggestion that uh, MCC had only a certain amount of allocation to it, so that could have been a big factor as well. Um, George, uh, do you buy any of that or are we just an apathetic supporter base? Um, I think I think you've got to look back. Uh, I think one of the Deemland Post has put up some previous history of Melbourne Fremantle games, and quite honestly, most of them were you know mid twenties in terms of numbers at the best of times. So uh, to think it was going to be anything more than that, I think, was a bit hopeful. Uh, but given the um, uh, how uh, Ticket Tech made it as difficult as possible to get a, a, a seat or a ticket. Um, it's not surprising that people um, got frustrated or couldn't be bothered, particularly for the MCC, where people are used to um, just simply rolling up and, and walking through the door. Um, uh, there were no walk-ups allowed, which makes it even more difficult. Fremantle have a very low supporter base in Melbourne compared to, say, a Port Adelaide or a Brisbane or a Sydney. So, again, it's not surprising the, the numbers that came out of there. Um, they had obviously closed off the Ponsford stand and the Olympic stand, uh, or the top decks in those. Um, so what that meant was ticker tech, when you, as a general general admission member, tried to buy a ticket into what would normally be a GA area, um, the only ones available were reserve seating, in uh, uh, which they would then sell tickets to, uh, sorry, sell, sell to you rather than um, allowing you to come through the gate. So all of these things combined, I don't think it was uh, at all surprising um, that that only got uh, that number. It would have been nice to get more. Yeah, fantastic. But when you put impediments about people trying to get through the gate who want to come through the gate, um, that's the sort of results you'll get. And it must be a night to disagree with you, Anna, because I reckon it's the biggest non-story of the week because when 21,000, 25 would be the average, um, and I did get tickets and couldn't go, which is another story altogether, but it was a complete pain in the neck um, to get the tickets and I didn't want to pay with 30, 40 bucks for the mid-tier one. I couldn't go to the top of the Ponsford anyway, even if I wanted to, and they'd put me down in the pocket where I got my tickets where at ground level where I wouldn't sit you know, ordinarily if I, unless I had to. Um, and all of those factors that um, George just um, mentioned were, you know, big factors for D's. And um, the other thing that really frustrated me is, so what? You know, like 21,000, the Pies didn't sell out their game. 
Um, the Pies have got twice as many members as we've got. Um, there were 4,000 seats unsold for the Pies-Bulldogs uh, game. Well, where was the criticism for the um, Pies fans to, to not fill that? I mean, I, don't, I just think it's a non-story. And the other part of it I really didn't like was the controversy about us. I heard one of the, uh, I forget the woman's name, the, um, the host on Fox Footy at halftime saying the controversial decision not to move the game. It's just it's our home game, as you're talking about the Gary Pert. I mean, where's the controversy? It's our choice. The only controversy would be, you know, if you have to answer members for maybe we could have got a better deal elsewhere, but Pert took that off the table with all of the, the problems there would have been. It's our choice, our home game. I, I was really, you know, frustrated with both the coverage of it and the criticism of the crowd. Like, you know, I just think we cop enough stuff as Melbourne fans without copying that one. And no snow this weekend either, given the the weather. Um, so that's no excuse. Um, yeah, it was all a bit, um, uh, being at the game, um, you know, they sort of, you know, it was obviously 50%, um, uh, 50%, it's going to be moved up to 75%. But they, you know, it's all a bit of COVID theatre, I think, <laughs> with how they allocate the seating, because... I had, uh, we had seats, they didn't put, there was no one next to me, there was quite a few, probably about half a row, and then there was another two people, and then sort of about five seats in between them, and then another two or three people, but, you know, so they're obviously, you know, putting distance between me and the person next to me, but there was certainly no distance between the person screaming into my head behind me nor any distance between me screaming into the head of the woman in front of me um, I think that's how so. it's set up though so that it seemed to be looking around the ground that um, people were grouped at the ends of rows bunched in the ends of rows and that way I think that what they're trying to do is that if there's a case they're isolating it to you know 20 30 people um, that seemed to be the way they were organizing um, organising uh, uh, the, the seating anyway, but it was interesting that, um, yeah, I didn't notice any other sort of social distancing measures in place at the ground. And certainly when I caught the train home, um, mm. Metro trains waited until the train was absolutely jam-packed um, before going. And I just, I was sort of staggered that we'd gone through this whole process of uh, not being able to sit in our normal seats, having to log on in the middle of the day, um, which, you know, as George and Bin Man have pointed out, is extremely inconvenient for a whole range of reasons, this whole ticket desk system. And then you get on the train afterwards and COVID safety is thrown out the window anyway. So what's the point um, if, it's, if it's not going to be matched the whole way through? Oh, I, it was interesting because when I went to the Marvel Stadium game, uh, the practice match, they had blocked off uh, sort of a bays, so sort of four or five bays were sort of, you know, blocked off. Uh, you couldn't walk around the ground or walk to any bay that was within, wasn't within your sort of limit. But I didn't notice any of that at the MCG. I had to, from where I was sitting to get food, I'd have to go downstairs. So you're mixing in with everyone else. Um, so yeah, it's all a bit of COVID theatre. So hopefully as the, the numbers go up, uh, well, hopefully we get, as in not the COVID numbers, the uh, amount that they uh, let us let in, 75, hopefully gets to 100% and they just go. But do you think when it gets to 100%, do 
we'll be able to sit in our seats and they'll just go back to normal? Or do you think once it's 100% they'll still make us go through this um, rigmarole of getting tickets the way? God, you'd hope it goes back to normal, wouldn't you? I mean, I saw on Demonland that some Red Legs supporters ended up in the Ponsford stand. And I thought, well, if that was me, I'd be complaining to the club. Um, I, I'm usually a Trident and ended up in the Red League section and in basically a, an equivalent part of the ground on the other side of the stadium. But, um, yeah, had I been shuffled off to the Ponsford, I wouldn't be happy. Well, ironically, it would be the opposite for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, Speaking of Ponsford, as I said, I couldn't um, go, but it was really nice of uh, Fox Footy to um, to have the Ponsford camera angle happening for me. That, that was. Did you notice in the um, on the replay the uh, high shot from above that they were? I don't know what was it. Whether that was a drone or is it the thing that goes across the ground or? Um, but quite spectacular, the Ponsford angle. Yeah, and just one more thing on this um, seating, Andy. Um, I actually uh, uh, ran into, um, as I mentioned before, I ran into George um, at the game and um, it, it was interesting because George, as we know, um, is George in the outer. But when I saw him at the footy, he wasn't in the outer at all. Um, he was actually in a part of the stadium um, reserved for the premier members and I'm just wondering whether it's not time for a name change um, for George. Um, perhaps, you know, if he, um, George in the outer is, is out, um, maybe we can call him King George. Or George in the toffee seats. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was, a, I was a bit worried, uh, actually, when I got this, the, to my seats because I was uh, in the red leg section, which is uh, in the southern stand, um, and I'm... Um, used to sitting on the, you know, in the Olympic stand, sort of uh, on the opposite um, half-forward flank. Um, so I had a similar aspect uh, that I usually uh, watch the games at, so I was happy with that. But I was a bit worried that I might get the sun in my eyes, but luckily I was enough rose back to not sort of have the sun on me. I like to be shaded um, <laughs> from the sun while I go to the footy and not cook like I did out at uh, in Perth. Um but, yeah, I was a bit worried and I know that those seats later in the year, sort of late in when you have games, later in the game, you can get the sun directly into your eyes. So I was a bit worried and I, I'm just hoping that things go back to normal and I get uh, my seat back. But that's the first world problems. Yeah, you're not doing much, Andy, to, for D's fans' reputation. <laughs> sort of go anywhere, anytime, football fans. And I wonder if there was only 21,000 people with, with soft fans like that, is the, <laughs> the big drama for me is that um, you had to go downstairs to get chips. Yes, yes. Whereas in, over in the Olympic, um, the chips are about uh, <laughs> just a few feet from the seat, so I wasn't happy you know, about that and I'll be writing to get game. I was very worried that my cheese platter would melt. Uh, <laughs> Just disgraceful. Just, just to make it even worse for you, for you all, um, I'm actually Lord George. Um, <laughs> I, I own one square foot of a block of land somewhere in Ireland or England or something like that, and I've got a title to it. So there you go. Um, and as a landowner, you're entitled to be the Lord. So I've got a certificate uh, to that end. So um, that that really confirms the uh, status of Melbourne supporters, doesn't it? <laughs> Does that, are you allowed to, allowed to take up a seat in the House of Lords then? 
I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I have a plot of land on the moon as well as a start after me. So, um, yeah, I think I beat you. Can we build um, a training base there? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, speaking of training bases, where uh, Grape Viney and I uh, interviewed uh, Gary Pert uh, last uh, on Friday. Um, uh, we did talk about the training base. And, uh, well, the pertinent the issue, is, you might say. Yeah, there is no no further news, and um, I, I'm less and less optimistic about us ever getting uh, finding a, a home base. Uh, Great Viney, what, what were your thoughts on um, what Gary um, said? I mean, yeah, there's nothing new there. Look, that was the crucial question, and uh, there really wasn't much light around it. Um, I think he, you know, we tried to get him to commit to an announcement this year, but we didn't even get that. Um, he sort of said that there'd be more information. Announcement Um, and announcement that was basically. Yeah. And so, you know, I think the sort of the scepticism from supporters is, uh, is warranted in this instance. And look, um, you know, I think, uh, you know, Gary's a confident uh, media performer. He's been in the game for a long time. Um, I note that, Someone wrote um, in the thread after listening to the interview that it's one thing for him to be able to offer to give up all these great answers on the um, about what's happening on the um, footy field, but um, you know his core business is what's happening off the field, and um, people weren't as impressed with his answers on that front um, as uh, as perhaps what he said about the footy stuff, and um, I'm including, I guess, in that. Um, uh, his answer regarding the exit from pokies and what's in place um, to replace that revenue, which which I think you asked him. Um, I don't think people were too impressed with his answer on that front either. Um, he seemed to th- still think, well, we asked him about the, the membership targets of uh, mm. 75,000. He seems to still see that that's um, a realistic achievement and, um, well, whether it is or isn't, I think it's wholly dependent on um, on us winning winning games and being successful and consistently successful. Which he admitted, uh, but it, you need there's got to be something else around that rather than just we're going to win games, you know. Yeah, but ha, 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 you, you, you can't. I don't think you can put bums on seats unless you are successful. That's uh, it comes down to that. I don't think all the marketing and advertising in the world's uh, not going to unless you improve your performances uh, on a consistent basis. Um, I, I thought that the, it was a fantastic interview. I was saying to Andy um, before we came on that I think probably just about the best interview on um, de- the, from the Demon Lane podcast and there's been a lot of really good ones. Um, yeah, I thought it was a terrific interview. But on that point, um, just from a personal perspective, I, I was – I would have loved a follow-up question about the value proposition for members, Andy, in terms of building your membership. Uh, as you know, I've been banging on for a while about, um, you know, I don't think the club's comms to members is particularly strong. It's an area we've improved in, but I really mean not so much the videos and the player interviews that don't really interest me much. It's more about the specifics, and in particular, I was sort of a bit head up about the uh, lack of information about the Casey um, uh, Hawks uh, uh, VFL practice game, um, but it's sort of for me, and 
for me, it's also the, in, the inf- lack of information about injuries, the lack of information even about the the um, game, for instance, that was played on the weekend. Given you know it's critical, um, you know fans want to know that stuff. And for me, he mentioned Pert mentioned that the key revenue stream is sponsorship and membership. And membership is, you know, you need a value proposition for it. Um, you know, diehards like us, well, we'll pay it. We'll get our membership um but for others you know you need to have a value proposition particularly for a team that's not regularly playing finals and doesn't have a home base um and i think they really need to pick up their game in that area i wrote to them on on the back of that um i wrote an email still haven't received a response eight nine days back later now i understand they're under the pump and uh, you know i don't want to be overly critical because that got smashed their their, um, admin got smashed just like other footy clubs but you know, putting out tweets about the Casey game is cost-free, basically. Um, and a lot of fans want that sort of information. So, um, yeah, I think that's an area they could improve. And I was – because you sort of touched on it great when you asked him about um, the Fans Day uh, and about, the you know, the idea of that connection. And to be fair, they had those Zoom calls last year, which were really good. They haven't had them this year, though. Um, and now's the time to do them. They're pretty much cost-free, apart from time. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's an area they've got to improve. Yeah, uh, we were particularly asking because through COVID, obviously, we don't get that, um, you know, that one-on-one interaction like through the family day, through the best and fairest. I don't know what's going to happen this year. Obviously, we didn't have the family day. He sort of intimated that perhaps the family day might be later in the year at some point when we can do those things and if we are heading into this uh, time, uh, you know, it depends on what happens with COVID, maybe we'll get that. But, uh, yeah, they've really got to provide some more value-added stuff. I I definitely agree with that. Um, But do you think that the rank and file, you know, obviously the hardcores of us want Casey updates, but do you think Casey updates are going to be enough? Not in of itself. I mean, it's part of a... It's part of a suite of things, and it's not just Casey updates. There, our we made a strategic decision to go with Casey and not our own VFL team. Now we probably couldn't afford to have our own VFL afford to have our own VFL team, but nonetheless, there's the Casey Demons, there's the AFLW team, and there's a, and the men's team. Uh, we made that call, and in that Casey game, and just like the one on the weekend, but in that Hawks game, we had Magic uh, Door playing. We had five or six senior players. They're they're our reserves team. They're not just Casey. They're the Casey Demons who have restructured. They've changed their jumper. They've changed their name. Our coaching systems are aligned. Um, you know, if no other reason, we should be investing in Casey as a footy team. But there were six players, and given the fact that we haven't been able to attend training over um, the break, that there has been that that separation with COVID. I mean, it's just basic minimal stuff for me. It's just what good fan engagement is. And sure, you know, not everyone wants that information, but. People like me who do well, it should be part of the the value proposition. So, uh, because I guess you would probably you would talk was it you talking about how I think one of the I think you would mention Carlton do some analysis more analysis stuff uh, for their members, uh, and we're not doing uh, stuff like that. Do you think we're not doing stuff like that and giving? Is, uh, you know, injury updates because we don't want to give stuff away from a, a footy department point of view. Um, well, what would you like to say? The issues predated COVID. So there's, of course, the issues to do with the fact that you've probably had half your staff going. So I'm not, I don't want to go the, 
you know, I don't want to be unfair, but this was an issue beforehand. It's not like I've suddenly come to this sort of you know, frustration with their comms. Um, but for me, there's been too much e- emphasis on video interviews with players, which, of course, a lot of players, you know, a lot of people like, and that's fine. They've got their place. Um, but what I want to know about is I'd never go to the M- MFC website at all. Like literally, I go to Demon Land to find out when the game's on, what's happening. That's you know, it's just um, not an information source for me. So I want to be able to go there and know t- what tactical information is. Have some interviews with the coaches. You know, discussion about our upcoming game, like um, Carlton do have. You know, who who have we got to watch out in the opposition? All of that sort of stuff is for me part and parcel of what a member should get. Um, of course, not everyone's as interested in it as me, but you know, I'm one of the members, so. Uh, fair enough. Um, uh, the uh, Another thing that came out of that, uh, Greg Viney, did you get the sense when we were talking about Darren Burgess and sort of asked whether, you know, how hard is it going to be to to retain his services uh, next year? I got I got the feeling he's not going to be with us next year. Yeah. Um, I understand there's family issues. He's, well, family issues, meaning his family is in South Australia um, and him being here. So it, it, I just got the impression that, uh, we'll be losing his services. Um, yeah, nothing particularly. No matter what we throw at it. Nothing particularly reassuring on that front, and uh, you can understand it really. I guess we're lucky to have him even this year, um, given given the uh, arrangements, the living arrangements with his family over there. So, um, yeah, make the most of it while we can, I guess, and uh, and uh, <laughs> steal as much IP as we can. Yeah. That was a great follow-up question, Andy, and, yeah, it didn't leave me very confident that he'd be at the club at the end of the year. The other good follow-up question was the one about the money, Greg, on our thought in terms of the um, Lee Oak, isn't it, the, the close of the pokies. And as you say, it was a bit of an sort of nothing answer, but it did occur to me, and it hadn't, I hadn't thought of it previously. Pert didn't point this out, but if they'd kept Lee Oak, it would have been pretty much 12 months of no income from pokies, wouldn't it, because the pokies were shut all last year in Melbourne. Mm. Yeah. So we wouldn't have got hardly any income from Lee Oak apart from any of the asset increase or, you know, on the property. or um, So the clubs that had pokies and invested in pokies like Hawks, I think, is it the Hawks or the Cats? Um, Hawks and Carlton. The Carlton, they wouldn't have got, you know, they wouldn't have got any money from pokies last year or revenue from pokies. So I, I was surprised he didn't make that point himself because, you know, in, in some respects it was very – but lucky timing to uh, divest themselves of pokies. Mm. Yep. The, the, um, we, we haven't totally divested in, in the sense that the Bentley Club was still operating, but uh, just from a financial perspective, the, the, the COVID close down of the pokies actually tells us how exactly how much money we have to cover, um, which I've uh, based on the difference between the previous year and this year, was about $2.8 million. From um, the pokies so that we do have still. From the poke, yeah. So they were operating in the previous financial year and um, not for the whole of um, the current year, but um, that gives us a fairly good idea. So we have to make another $2.8 million just to stay where we are. Yep. Um, and I think that's that's the critical um question for the CEO and the board in the in the coming year particularly or or once the Bentley Club in 2022 gets sold off or whatever they do with that um, and we lose the pokey revenue um, 
the license for that expires, I think, in 2022. So, uh, yeah, where are we going to find another $2.8 million? Um, and, big, and big George, question. You, you, you uh, did some math on that, I saw, in, in one of the threads uh, in terms of membership, how many members you need um, to, to make that, that, that shortfall and what, was, what did that turn out to be? It turned out to be about somewhere about 30%. We have to increase the membership by 30% and that, that's just to stay where we are. Um, it's not going to happen. It's, no. Yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah it's a, like I said, it's a big question for the current board and I think the current board and the, and the president um, uh, are under notice um for this year um around the training base around the revenue situation about the investment situation uh where the club finds itself i noted today there was an article in the age um about jeffrey kennett kennett um and the uh training base that they're trying to establish at dingley uh estimates uh that's going to cost them about a hundred million dollars and uh the article was pointing out that they're uh, eruptions being caused by the fact that Jeffrey, being a, a Liberal Party stalwart, is um, uh, also head of the Hawthorne Football Club, and there's not much love lost between him and the current government. But they're seeking fifty million dollars from the current current government government to uh, partly fund this. You know, so fifty million dollars um, uh, potentially going to Hawthorne, and if that happens, and Melbourne's left out in the lurch again, um, I don't see the current board lasting. Uh, beyond the end of this year, it's, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was the other good question because that was, uh, I think, the follow-up question from you, Andy, about that. He he didn't have much in terms of confidence. Uh, it left no one really with any confidence. We're going to have anything happening in the next little while, and geez, it makes that investment in case here all the more important. Um, um, yeah, it's it's not great, is it? No, uh, but look, I think where they've done a good job. Uh, is in retaining sponsorships. They've added a few sponsors. I, I don't think any of us are privy to to the details of, of what um, concessions they've made to keep some of these uh, sponsors on, but it is good. I think we bought uh, another uh, one of the you know, uh, T-shirt sponsors for the coaches, uh, uh, Better Banking or Better Banker. I don't want to get their name wrong. Um give them a plug, um, has come on board. So it's good to see that they are still able to to get some people on it in these, you know, tough financial times. Yeah. Um, the, I'd be curious whether, like, how fixed they are on this, con- this idea it has to be within a certain distance of the MCG because it seems to me, I'm not sure what's happening with the Fisherman's Bend uh, redevelopment, but surely there's an opportunity in that space down there where, you know, they'll be crying out for... Um, um, green, you know, green fields or, or or parklands, I should say, in that area when they do finally develop down there, and um, surely there's an opportunity to, you know, get a win-win with the state government down there to have a footy club and invest in local community facilities in the same way that say Arden Street has in North Mel- North Melbourne has at Arden Street. Um, you know, it just doesn't seem to be likely to happen in, in the MCG precinct. You don't want it too far away. Uh, I know what that's Fishman Bend is that near Port Melbourne? Ten kilometres from fifteen kilometres from the G. Yeah, but it's on the other side of <laughs> Melbourne. Come on, <laughs> that might be bad. Down there. It's, it's on the south side of the Yarra, isn't that okay? It's not it's, north. It's, it's much further away than Docklands, which is my big problem. So 
No, I won't be heading out there. <laughs> well, I'm in Altona, so <laughs> yeah. I could ride my bike there, put it on the punt, and uh, you know, be at training in half an hour. <laughs> Too industrial oh, for me. Um, oh, Mel- Melbourne Grammar have got their training ground down there. Oh, well, there you go. So <laughs> if they can do it, could be something in the afternoon. Um, yeah. Mm. Interesting. All right. Well, uh, let's 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 move it move it on unless uh, someone else wants to pipe in with anything. Um, AFLW, George, uh, and Bin Man. I guess uh, you're our two AFLW um, men. I guess. Um, go on, Great Viney. I've been watch. I've been watched virtually every game of the oh, AFL. I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, <laughs> mind you, on the weekend, um, I didn't get to see it live, so I taped it and didn't look at oh, the yeah. scores and came on later. And I watched a half time. Was very impressed. And then I went back to the menu to skip through half time and accidentally deleted it. So I missed the second half of uh, um, oh. of the weekend's game to my own stupidity and realised I probably did myself a favour. Um, given that I think we only kicked one goal after half time, and um, it seemed like it we had a bit of a, a, a heart stop or a heart, yeah, heart stopper. So um, perhaps it's it was an important it was an important goal though <laughs> that we did kick. Well, uh, the end, uh, yeah. What What were you saying, Andy, about Melbourne's ageing um, fan base? Grapevine, he taped it and his, his VHS tape got all wound up. He couldn't work out the technology. <laughs> no, it was on, you, it was on the Fox day and I accidentally just deleted it instead. Well, of if you've got KO, you can go back and watch the – you can watch it again. Need, it needs a smartphone for, for that. <laughs> but just just go back to the technology of Fox. So I think you have to press about three different buttons to, to delete something. So, uh, yep. Yep. So, uh, uh, yes. Um, uh, George B. Man, Great Viney, uh, the last two weeks um, have been two massive games. We, we were ending the season with three very tough games having to play Adelaide, who have been one of the best teams in the AFLW competition since its inception, um, have to go over to Perth in scorching heat and play uh, Fremantle, who have been fantastic this year. Were they? I think they were top of the ladder going into this round. Um, and then our final round next week, um, well, we don't even need to win to make the finals now, but it could shape who we play in the finals. They have to play Brisbane, who have also been outstanding uh, this year. So it was a tough ask going into the last three rounds, and we've uh, we've won two two of the three. So um, yeah, take it away, uh, George. Um, yeah, what a contrast between even the Melbourne men's team last year and the women's team this year, going into the games knowing that you have to win this particular game or one of the two remaining games like we did, like the men's team did last year. And the girls really, really stuck in there and, and, and did exactly what they had to do. And even though great fight, his wife dropped the second half and only expecting to see one goal. It wasn't just the one goal. It was just the sheer determination and the doggedness against a very good free mantle side and while they're playing in 35 degrees of heat, um, it was a really tough, well fought out game and all credit has to go to the to the girls um, 
to achieve uh, a, a win in those conditions. Everything was possibly that could possibly be thrown against them was thrown against them, and they came out with flying colours. So um, very pleased with that. Um, do you want to talk about the, the game itself or the Adelaide situation, Andy? Or? Yeah, yeah, go, I was go for say it. That uh, you talk about the toughness um, and the week before against Adelaide, mm. that third quarter okay. of footy was probably the best contested footy I've seen in, in the women's game over the years. And um, uh, um, the ability of the girls to stand up in that situation and dig in um, and not, um, yeah, not, not, um, not concede was just sensational. And, uh, um, yeah. yeah, they've turned in some stellar performances this year. Um, uh, some really exciting free-flowing football and at other times really tight, tough, hard, contested footy. So um, it's great to watch. That Adelaide game was one of the most enjoyable Melbourne Football Club games I've, I've watched um, in all seriousness in years. It was just fantastic. It was inspirational. Just their attack on the footy was incredible. Skills were, were terrific. I thought they coached well. Zanker into the middle was a masterstroke and um, um, she dominated. She was, you know, getting good distance from the clearances. Um, I think, Andy, we won those clearances, so that was pretty important, actually. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was just a fabulous game of footy. It was a different game, the one on um, uh, the Frio game. We jumped out, we got to a three-goal lead, and then it was just like it was watching them come back and Frio, a terrific side, the marking skill and their tackling skill uh, is, is fantastic. And it was, you know, I, it was hard to see them um, uh, winning that game. I think, Andy, you were on the game day thread and you said you had to um, leave or couldn't watch the end of the game. Uh, and it didn't look like we were going to win at that point. Um, and that goal, which was the goal you missed, Great Viney was such a clever bit of play from um, uh, Daisy Pierce, who had a 50 and only ran to about 20 metres or 30 metres of that 50 and kicked it long to uh, Gay one out, who um, really just outfoxed her uh, 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 opponent um, and went back and iced it from 30 metres. And uh, and that was enough to get us across the line. It was a, a thrilling win and it would have been a huge challenge to come back after the heat and um, also losing uh, Goldie in that last quarter to have a must-win game this week. So the fact that we don't have that is, is fantastic. And just the other thing was on Goldie, she did a hammy, so hopefully it's not too bad, but uh, she did it. In a, in a desperate lunge, um, they'd got it out the back, Frio got it out the back and um, she just lunged at the ball and put enough pressure on the uh, on the uh, Frio player to stop them. It would have been an easy goal if they'd grabbed that. They would have been, a, I think, to run into an open goal when she did a hammy on the sort of final lunge of it. Uh, it was just you know inspirational, which might be the difference between having a shot at the flag this year and not. It's interesting you talk about moving Eden's anchor into the middle and what an inspired move that's been. And um, it's the same with Daisy Pierce going forward. Mm. Um, I actually thought she struggled a bit earlier in the year um, and wasn't getting into the games too much um, at half back. But um, yeah, she's impacted every game that I've, well, yeah, every game since she's, she's moved forward um, and, and getting a lot more of the foot. Parts really stick out. Yeah. Yep. Same as Paxman. Paxman's such a clever... But then, you know, you look at Bannon and, and McNamara, such clever footballers and natural footballers, and, a, you know, it makes such a difference. 
I think the um, I think the coaching staff woke up about halfway through the season and have actually changed um, when they've done all those structural moves. They've actually woken up to the way the game's being played. I've mentioned this before. Um, we were previously a handball, handball, short kick um, uh, style of play, and we've changed dramatically to a much longer kicking, um, tougher, harder at the ball type of team, which is what all the successful sides this year have been. Um, if you have a look at the way St Kilda, for example, are playing, they're still playing that old short kick, um, handball, move the ball that way sort of thing. But when you look at the Collingwoods and the um, and the Fremantles, um, it's looking more and more like, like the men's game in that sense. And while they're two different games, um, the, the, the bodies are getting stronger, the bodies are getting fitter. Um, and um, we've we've actually changed our complete way of way of playing. Mm. It's you know, they moved uh, Daisy up to the forward line, and she's she's really smart. Um, she's not as fast as she used to be, but you saw her a couple of times in that Fremantle game where she just positioned herself beautifully to um, to get under her opponent. That that final kick to Gay was just an absolute ripper. Um, that basically won the game for her. She was smart enough to. Um, to run up and really put the pressure once you got that 50 metres, not just to run to the whole 50 metres. She saw the opportunity and, and opened it up, as Binman just said. The other thing that they did was um, they got Cunningham out of the forward line. Mm-hmm. Now, she's been in there because she's about nine foot tall, um, but um, the trouble is she's not really good overhead. So putting Daisy up forward all, all of a sudden meant you've got a target that's going to mark the ball, and they put Cunningham into the ruck uh, backup ruck position and she's been doing very well in that. Um, she can throw a weight around a lot more in the middle um, than what she's capable of doing up in the forward line. Then of course Zanka moved um, into the middle as well to give the support to Paxman and Mithin. And um, so all around those those moves have just been you know all positives around the whole ground. So um, uh, the back line's been fantastic even in the absence of Daisy that uh, Colvin and Birch and Goldrick have just been so solid. You know, the, I think it was uh, was it Birch or Colvin got a head knocked in pretty dramatically in the game. Colvin, Colvin. yeah, they're they're tough. They're tough girls. They're really tough right, girls, didn't she? And then speaking of tough, uh, um, Grapevine, you with your tape mangling up, you and in, in the second half, <laughs> you, you missed a pretty um, big melee. At the end of the last quarter, we made a huge blunder with three goals up at that point, and we'd done super well to hold off Frio because really they were they dominated the third quarter, really, Frio. Um, we did well to keep our lead, and um, they did one of those heartbreaking, only Melbourne can do it, crosses <laughs> to target from about 40 metres and hit the ground, and Roxy Roo came in and um, made us pay and then let, I think, it was Colvin, perhaps it was um, let her know it was right in her face, and there was like a twenty per twenty woman sort of melee at the end of that quarter. So hopefully the um, uh, the demon um, team got into them at the end of it and pointed out who won that game. I can tell you one thing: follow um, follow a number of the uh, the demon players on Instagram, and the camaraderie among the girls is uh, is excellent. Um, it seems like they're all having a ball, and um, yeah, that obviously helps. And I've been pumping up the AFLW commentary, um, but that's come to a crashing halt. That fellow will show what was his story? Scope, Scope. Yeah. Yep. 
uh, I've really enjoyed the commentary all year. Um, unfortunately, we played over in Perth, and obviously the we had the Perth commentary team, and they were all but barracking uh, for Fremantle the entire match. Uh, I don't know if it was because they were behind, or um, you know, sometimes commentators like the the underdog. Uh, not that they're going into the match, they're underdogs, but because we were so far ahead. But uh, they were barracking, and uh, it's quite frustrating when you're uh, when you're the opposition supporter and you have to hear commentary akin to uh, the five AA uh, in uh, South Australia. Press red for Ed. And, and, and Andy, I know this is not on the run sheet, but just really briefly, there was the, in that um, the commentary something that really I find frustrating with um, how many ex footballers. Uh, involved in commentary in Aussie rules is I forget the Melbourne player, but the Frio player pinned her arms and swung her. And he even described it the way the Frio player did to lever her down um, and was complaining about that being a, um, um, I forget what the, the name of the tackle, you know, a sling tackle, but too rough. It's exactly why that rule was brought in. And he was saying, you know, this is not, he practically said this is not netball or, or whatever. Um, it was why the yeah. rule was brought in because she could not protect her arm, her head. Her arms were pinned, um, and it, it, I was thinking about it. And then at the end, of, I happened to be watching the end of the Hawthorne um, Essendon game, and uh, Darcy was talking after the game, and he was talking about the hit um, that Dangerfield put on. Um, oh, I forget the player that he, he knocked out. Um, Kelly. Kelly. Um, and he was saying he shouldn't go, that that was what else could he do? And I was like, that's absolutely ridiculous. He he went through him. That was all day, every day. That's a reportable offence. And Darcy was basically giving him a free pass and it's because he's an ex-footballer. If you look at the vision, uh, I, 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 re, well, I posted a, a tweet, not my tweet, um, uh, on Demonland of the reverse angle and you see Dangerfield get up and make an absolute beeline uh, for Kelly and accelerated, uh, you know, and for him to claim that he was protecting himself. And that he didn't have another choice. Uh, yeah, he had so many choices. He could have not gone at him, which obviously you got to try and stop the play- player, but he could have smothered, he could he have put his arms up, he could have tackled. Uh, there were so many options for him to do, even pull out of <laughs> knocking him out. Um and the reason he didn't tackle is because the ball had already passed him. <laughs> well past him. So it was unbelievable that Darcy was defending him. So we well, can talk quickly about Dangerfield because he's going to miss the game against Melbourne. Uh, do, does anyone know what his options are in terms of, because um, I know a lot of Melbourne supporters were quite pessimistic as we, we are thinking that he's going to get let off and get two weeks and not miss our game and not that we want you know, you want to play the best player team, but it always helps if one of their best players is out. Um, yeah. Does he have any, um, uh, what do you call it, uh, appeal? Uh, can he appeal? Because he did, didn't he plead guilty? Yeah, I, I don't know whether uh, an appeal is possible um, or not. I, I might be wrong, but, but, but the, the, the concern for him is that they, um, they pleaded guilty to the charge uh, and we're trying to downgrade it in terms of severity. Now, that was dismissed by the tribunal, so I suspect that they might have run out of argument uh, effectively. Uh, what are they going to... Um, they, they brought up a couple of other cases of severe... what what were classified as severe, um, uh, including the A and B sling tackle. Um, 
and saying that the danger fuel uh, t- um, hit wasn't the same as this, but that was dismissed by the tribunal. So I don't know how they're going to, if they were to appeal, uh, would find any grounds for appeal effectively. Um, so um, yeah, I, I think they might just walk away from this and, and accept it. What did he get? I didn't hear. Three, Three weeks. He should. He was lucky to. He should have got four. I reckon mm. because uh, is he still? Has he got a position with the AFL? Um, PA? Yeah, he's the president. I, I mean, this in the in the sort of context of um, concussion and uh, and the sort of players like McCartan out of the game for you know basically ever because of it. For him to be not just sort of fessing up for it and going, yeah, that's not on uh, in that position as president is is just rubbish. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's a serious issue. Uh, there was the fair, don't know if anyone watched the thing on sixty minutes the other week. Um, the this concussion and the the, the repercussions of, of 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 concussion later in life is uh, is terrible. So um, yeah, well, I agree. And we've had the the death of um, Tuck this year, and clearly it was related to well. The implication is it was related to I forget what is it CTE the CTE yeah. yeah. Um, all right, well, Dangerfield not going to play. We can talk about that in a couple of weeks. Um, uh, but just quickly before we go on to the St Kilda game, just finishing off the AFLW in terms of the run home. Uh, does anyone, uh, uh, perhaps you do, George, know how the finals work in AFLW under this new system? With it seems we've had a new system every year. Uh, we've got a top six now. Uh, if we finish fifth, who do we play? Do we play second or? Uh, short answer is no. I don't know. <laughs> um, what I what I suspect, given the uh, results of the other games, is that we really can't improve our position dramatically. No. Um, you're not going to move Brisbane. You're not going to move Fremantle from where they are. Well, we're not. We don't have the uh, percentage. That no, we, oh no, no, we have a, a who's Frio playing? Frio is playing. Um, uh, North Melbourne, so yeah, if North yeah. knock them off, um, North can t- overtake us if we lose. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the only thing that can change. But the percentages of of the other two and and even Adelaide's is is far too great for us to get any further yeah. than where we are, sort of thing. But we are uh, like Collingwood could beat Adelaide, and we can win, and uh, and Frio can lose, and uh, we we can overtake uh, those two teams and and finish third. But it, it, it requires them to lose. But it can happen. We can jump positions because we are equal with Frio and Adelaide at the moment. Is there an AFLW ladder predictor? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. That's quality. Um, That's what I want to know. That's... Yeah. The, the, the good thing is that um, we, we've beaten two seriously good sides in the last two weeks. Really serious. Yeah, you know, we're not just talking about finishing in the finals um, this year. We, we're ch- we're going to be challenging for the for the premiership. Um, yeah. Adelaide beat the Western Bulldogs by 56 points um, in their last game. So um, we haven't had the uh, luxury of playing against, um, like Fremantle played twice against West Coast. Um, Bris- uh, um, we haven't played against Geelong, which all the other high scoring or high percentage uh, teams in the, in the six have had the advantage of doing. So we've been... 
sort of sh- uh, shafted a bit by the by the fixture, and others have been advantaged by the fixture. But um, the good teams that this year, at least, are in the finals compared to what's happened in the previous years. But we've beaten two really serious sides in the last two weeks, and if we beat Brisbane this week, the other sides are going to be very, very worried about who they're coming up against Melbourne. Yeah, I didn't realise that Frio had played uh, West Coast twice, and I know it was all uh, COVID-related, uh, but going forward... I mean, what's the best way to even up this competition? Do they need to play everyone once? Um, now that they are playing during the men's season in in the in the in the past, they sort of finished on round one, you know. But now they've gone deep into well, deep. We'll go deep after the finals. Three, four weeks into uh, the men's season, is it time to sort of even it up and at least play each other once? I, I think there's no doubt that that has to happen. Um, previously, it was a, a lack of um, uh, players available and teams available. Uh, we've passed that point, I think. So uh, you've you've got to make it uh, um, even for everyone, um, including the the teams in Western Australia and Brisbane and up in Brisbane and Queensland. They've got, they've got to travel as well, but uh, everybody's got to travel and. Um, uh, give give the opportunity, and while there's this differential, unfortunately, between the new teams as they come in, like the Geelongs and the West Coast, um, you you can't hand hand one or two teams a huge advantage, which is obviously going to affect the um, premiership position at the end of the year, um, premiership ladder position at the end of the year, um, simply because the others haven't had the chance to uh, play them. So, um, yeah, one at least once has to come in, and if it's played at the same time as the men's competition, well, so be it. Yeah, totally. is is so. is um, uh, the, I believe Hawthorne's coming in. Are there other teams? Um, Port Adelaide, I think, want to have a t- side as well, um, but I, I think they um, uh, the AFL will put that off as long as possible because um, of the lack of quality players available. Um, you know, the fact that Geelong. And West Coast uh, easy beats at the moment. Um, they don't want uh, wipeout games. It's not good for the uh, for the competition and the, and the view viewers. Um, so uh, I think they'll put those ones off as long as possible. I can't remember when they're promised, and indeed if they have promised uh, when they'll come in. But uh, they're certainly pushing from both those clubs to get it. They they see that 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 the future now in AFLW and want to be part of it. All right, let's uh, move on. Uh, Look, cast our eye at uh, a game, uh, upcoming game this Saturday night. Um, uh, changes there, there might be a few. I would, I would guess Viney is going to be back in the team. Uh, we've got players uh, Melksham, Hibbard, um, uh, possibly um, Biman. Who do you see coming in this week? Yeah, well, it depends a little bit. I mean. I I wouldn't be shocked if they keep Hunt in. I mean, uh, as I said, I think he's on thin ice. He didn't get enough possessions. But I I just wonder whether sort of the way they've got structure, they they think they need his pace and and his ability to cover the ground. And um, given their run with him early on, maybe they'll give him another go. It seems a bit... Seems a bit strange to you know this is a you put your flag in the ground in that opening round to to um, change it up too much after a, a win. Um, you said Viney's fit, isn't he? He's going to come back in. Um, so apparently played four quarters, uh, but uh, I've 
that doesn't mean he's straight in, but uh, and yet we don't really know that because we didn't get any information about that. No, <laughs> um, Melsham's not. I don't think so. It's hard to know. I, I some people sort of said that um, Sparrows tackled well, six tackles. I, I didn't think he was very impressive. Didn't make really good decisions. Um, you know, if Viney comes in, you'd think, wouldn't he? I mean, hundred percent, he'll. Come in. Mm. Um, and um, Sparrow seems to be the logical player to swap out for him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that's it. Great Viney. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's it either. Um, uh, it's a winning team. Um, we won comfortably. Um, isn't that enjoyable when you go to the footy and for most of the game you don't really feel threatened? Um, I certainly felt that way on the weekend. So uh, I can see them um, making very minimal changes, so it's quite possible just the one. Well, I, I, I did feel feel threatened, but then again, <laughs> when game a couple of years ago by 90 points and <laughs> into the last quarter, I was still on the edge of my seat. Um, but that's my um, MFC SS uh, Coming through, George. Uh, yeah, the question is, uh, as Bin Mam just mentioned, you know, because we don't know the performance of the individuals in that practice. So, you know, if Hibbert, Hibbert was playing well enough, then you'd then you'd bring have to bring him in for Hunt, uh, but we don't know that. Um, and again, uh, well, Rob- the, the club did post fifty four photos um, from the game, so if you can glean anything from that, yeah, exactly. That's about all you can glean. Um, yeah, these are the decisions that coaches have to make. We don't know the the true nature of of where they sit um, in terms of preparation for the game. Um, Hunt didn't do himself any favours uh, in in this game. I think Sparrow will be stiff stiff simply because Biney's available. Um, he'll get plenty of more chances during the year. Um, beyond those two possibilities, I don't think there's any need for any further changes. Like like uh, Great Viney just said, it's a winning side. You don't need to change too much. And just on, I didn't sort of mention, uh, didn't jump in before about Jones when, when you fellas were talking about Jones. Last year, he would have been discussed in this context. So he'll, he'll come out surely for Viney. Um, and I think it's interesting that, you know, he wasn't, we didn't even part of that discussion. Um, a mate of mine was saying that sort of he's the sort of player that um, some of the older players will actually do well this season with the longer quarters who are physically strong um, and can take, you know, it's not just the aerobic challenges of the extra quarters in the lower, um, the 75 um, rotations. It's also ability to physically cope with you know being smashed for 120 minutes and so players of you know of his age who have got through their career pretty well without too many serious injuries he had his neck injury and a couple other things but he's been a super durable player Jones Um, as you said before George he's going to get to 300 um, for sure and you know at halfway through last year you wouldn't have put um, money on it would you that he'd even get a contract let alone get to 300. B man, do you want to um, uh, you wanted to talk about the 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 St Kilda game um, from maybe a tactical perspective or how we're going to approach it? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's a really interesting. Um, two two things. First thing was that I watched a bit of that game too, George. The um, GWS um, Saints game, and they've got a particular style. It was like even though it was wet, um, that you know that crop that way they play. Um, obviously 
uh, Richardson brought the Intel last year and we really uh, looked to shut down that switch last year. It worked super hard. It was a pity we couldn't do it for one more week the following week against the Dogs. But um, um, I, I think that, you know, we were very clever the way we played them last year. It's going to be a critical game because we're really two teams trapped tracking at about the same point in our development we you know arguably we should be ahead of them um in that development curve but um you know let's say for the sake of argument where you know be fighting for a position they're coming back after it was a slogging game that was a tough game in the wet conditions they traveled up to sydney um i'm not sure george whether they um, what injuries they might have got out of that game. But, you know, they're going to – we played pristine conditions and we've got an extra day's uh, rest. So um, it sets up well for us from that perspective. And as we've talked about over the years, we, you know, we play um, Docklands pretty well. Um, I think that, you know, tactically we've got two very different styles. So it's really, you know, our – our best chance is obviously is running hard defensively to cover that switch. And if we're not on in that sense, um, then, you know, they will cut us up. But I, I, I think St Kilda struggle um, when oppositions bring the full heat because it's a sort of, it's a game style that relies on your ability to work your way through the transition the ball quickly. And if you can stop that transition, they get a bit stuck. They're not that strong up forward and, um, we're not rebounding off the halfback flanks, certainly like sort of the Tigers do. So um, it sort of sets up really interestingly for, from a tactical perspective because we have got two quite distinct styles. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, they'll have Max King back this week, um, so that'll provide a, a fabulous target up forward for them. But I think their problem, like I alluded to before, is down their back line. Um, they are really weak down there. Toby Green virtually won the, nearly won the game off his own boot last week against a, a very, very ordinary defence. Um, they really depend on that fast transition slingshot type of game uh, that the Dogs employed so successfully a couple of years ago. But... Um, as, as you mentioned, if we can employ the same type of tactic to shut down uh, the people like the Greshams and the Hills, um, and the, the Billings. As the ex-Richmond um, player, what's um, uh, Butler. Butler? He's critical to that transition. And if you can yeah. shut the space that he's got to run into, it really takes his um, strength away. Yeah. Um, the, the really big positive we have is Max Gorn uh, because they're um, missing... Uh, Marshall and Ryder at the moment. Uh, they were using McKernan last week, who um, is just a big log, effectively. He just stands there and doesn't do very much around the ground. Or So Max has a, a huge advantage, um, that hopefully, that we can exploit. Um, but the, um, I think we're, we're reasonably safe. Again, we were talked about the very first thing in, the, in this podcast was about the brick wall defence. If they can't get through um, the maze and the levers and the rest of the players down there, um, they're really going to struggle. Tim Membry is the only one who, who <laughs> saves his best for us. Yep. Um, uh, you can guarantee three goals from him. But uh, the rest of their goals uh, last week came from like I said, out-the-back mistakes that the GWS um, uh, made and one absolute um, howler of a, an umpiring decision in the last two minutes uh, that got them over the line. Um, I hope they don't get that this week um, to get them the four points. 
Ah, uh, just looking at their injury list, um, uh, they got King coming back, and they reckon uh, Zach Jones is expected mm. to be selected. Uh, other than that, no one else um, is is back from injury. Um, if Zach Jones has a decent game, you can expect um, <laughs> you can expect a week of recrimination on Demon Land that we've got the wrong Jones, <laughs> or that we should have um, tried harder to get the brothers together. Um, that's that's pretty much a given, also, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, if we get beaten in clearances, even if we win by six goals, if uh, we get smashed in the clearances, it'll be what's Max doing? We don't get enough advantage out of him, and um, yeah, that, that's for sure going to come up. Yeah, I'll be bringing that up uh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely on this podcast. Might be right, Andy, because it's a night game, so the sun should be going to go, or you don't go to the dock once. Uh, it's a bit too far from uh, from the MCG. <laughs> if if we if I can get a ticket, um, uh, yeah. That I was well, just the thing about last week's games is, you know, I think for me it was a much better game than what. Well, again, on Demonlands, it's hard to know how sort of representative of general Melbourne fans that are to would agree. But I thought there was it was a pretty strong critique of our performance, um, and you know, to bank four points. Am I right to say that's the first round one game we've won since two thousand seventeen? That's correct. Um, you know, when you think that uh, Geelong got beaten over in a game that you know that. I think the first time since 1971, a, grand, a team that's played off in the grand final beaten by the previous year's Wooden Spooner. Um, the Lions got rolled by the Swans and Essendon um, got rolled by Hawks, all three teams who will be seriously competing within the finals. Um, and GWS, you have to throw into that mix as well. Um, all um, haven't started with four points. We've started with banking in the four points. It's just super critical. You cannot underestimate how important those four points are and just starting that way because if we'd lost, then the whole tone would be different coming into this game, wouldn't it? It'd be all about a must. Suddenly it's a must-win game because after this, what, we've got Geelong the, the week after or is it? All four teams, so all of the, all those teams, sorry, all the next three teams are all ones we're going to be competing directly with. And if we come into this game, this coming up with having lost against Frio, um, we'd be seriously under the pump and on the back foot right from the get-go. Yep. All right. Um, uh, just before we go, uh, has have any of you guys uh, watched the uh, Amazon Prime series uh, Making Their Mark um, based on last year's uh, season? Yeah, um, I watched I finished it. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've watched all, uh, I think, six episodes. Uh, yeah, I think there's six or seven. I've only I've watched three, so no spoilers. I don't want to know who won the grand final yet. Um, but uh, what were your thoughts, uh, B Man, on 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 just the production? And um, were you disappointed there was not much Melbourne content? Very disappointed. I was like, when the games kept coming up for the D's games, like, come on, show us a bit more action. Uh, there was, uh, yeah. There was one, I'll just interrupt you for a sec. There was one thing I was really disappointed in. I think it was the second episode and they, uh, it was um, uh, one of the main themes of it was the Black Lives Matter and with Eddie Betts and, and, um, and his thoughts about, about that. And they, it culminated in um, them 
showing the Melbourne Carlton game and them, uh, you know, going around in the circle, uh, taking the knee, focusing on Eddie. And you could see um, the directly opposite him was Christian Petrarch. And I was like, yes, they're going to show the uh, the Melbourne game. They're going to show us winning the game. And they show them in that circle, Eddie taking the knee, and then the screen fades to black and that's the end of the episode. (laughs) Much better for Melbourne fans, I can give you that tip in terms of game time. My overarching thing was in production values are incredible. Um, It depends. It's weird who the audience is because that's an international, it's on their platform internationally and, um, you know, there's that Sunderland um, one as well, and so it'd be interesting to know who watches it from an overseas perspective. Very much about the stories. It was like your four, your, your people. Um, so I think it was Eddie Betts, Peggy O'Neill, um, Brendan Gale, bloody uh, H- uh, Hardwick. Um, so it got better. I, the, I was a bit disappointed. Not enough footy. The, the more footy as the season went on, there was more footy, and some of that action was fantastic. Um, that Nui was the other one. Uh, and Cognito, <laughs> who seemed like a sad sack, poor bugger. He had a bad year. So um, I thought the production values were really good. It'd be fine if it was about Melbourne. It was like catnip for bloody Tigers fans, if you ask me. Um, some of the insights into the Tigers was interesting from a Melbourne perspective, how powerful the buy-in is for that, from that team in their system. Um, I personally thought Hardwick came across as a total nut job, um, Cameron even more so. But you could see the players really bought into um, Hardwick's sort of system and the Tigers' way of playing. And um, so, you know, it wasn't as good as I'd, I'd hope would be my overarching thing. But you know, tell you, there's talk about them doing one every season. So I just hope they do one just on the Melbourne Footy Club. Fine, then. Well, we've already had our, our uh, time in the sun with the uh, To Hell and Back <laughs> series. Um, but I'll just, uh, when you were talking about Richmond, I've, I'm only three episodes in, but the last episode was, you know, sort of focused a bit on the, you know, they were just starting up the season again and it was the financial impact of sort of COVID and seeing Peggy O'Neill and, and, uh, Brendan Gale sort of like, uh, like shattered about, you know, the financial impact and how it's going to affect them. And it's going to be really tough. On, on them as a club financially. And then I'm thinking, well, you know, they've got 100,000 members. Um, they're winning premierships. Uh, I'm sure their responses lining up to, to throw money at them. But what about, what about us? Like, how are we going to survive uh, something like this? Um, yeah, really, when you see how worried Richmond are, it's uh, really time that uh, we're not, uh, we're certainly not immune uh, from the situation. Uh, yeah, like we've just seen. So. That was probably one of the most powerful parts of it. And there was a, I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, uh, Andy, but Brendan Gale has to tell his team that he doesn't sort of name who, but he's got a team meeting over Zoom, um, basically saying to his, his admin team that people aren't going to have a role with how he phrase it. And so not all roles will be here going forward, I think it was was the uh, how he phrase it. And, was, and you could see he was just totally shattered by, you know, to tell half of his his sort of team that they're not going to have a job. Uh, the other thing I'd, I'll ask you just quickly before we finish up uh, the the did they add sound effects uh, into the footy parts with the bumping and crunching? 
or was that sounds from the game? I assume sounds from the game, and it was really interesting whether um, I'm not sure how how it like that. It seemed some players were mic'd up. Uh, yeah, how does that work? They can't have one of those big, bulky, um, you know, well, mics. Sure that the following Nadanui going in. <laughs> no, I presume maybe one of those small mics on them. Like I don't know how big a mic was, but there was you could hear them talking in a lot of scenes, and also there was quite a number of shots from inside the huddle, you know, quarter time, three quarter time huddle. So they must have been wearing mics, is because yeah, it was definitely real sound. And those bumps and crunch, that's why I asked uh, every time someone got bumped, it was like you felt it in your bones. Um, anyway, I thought so far from what I've seen, I thought it's fantastically produced, uh, you know, production values are incredible. Uh, and I, yeah. it must, Cameron must break some sort of world record for, I won't, I won't say it, you know, I don't want Demon Land to lose its licence or something. <laughs> F-bomb, like literally in one speech, he, he must say it. Um, 35 times, maybe 30 times in about two minutes. It's it's quite remarkable. Yeah, anyway, if you've got Amazon Prime, I recommend uh, having a watch of it. All right, boys, I think uh, we're going to end it there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll be back uh, next week. Uh, thank you, uh, George. Uh, thank you, uh, B-Man, and thank you, Greg Viney. Thank you. Let's go days. Go days. All right.